0: This Sunday, we're going to be looking at three gifts that have this one sort of concept in common, and I already prayed about it a little bit, and that's this idea of generosity or abundance. The three gifts that we're going to look at today manifest or they're rooted in this sort of sense of the abundance of God. And and they become kind of like signs pointing to the generosity of God, to the abundance of God, as we see them manifest in our community um, we, we we're pointed to the character of God. So what are these three gifts that we're going to be looking at? They are faith, generosity itself, proper, and mercy. And as the gifts of faith and generosity and mercy are lived out in our community, we are pointed towards the character of God, and it's a blessing. So would you open with me to 1 Corinthians 12 1 Corinthians 12, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll, we'll hand one to you. Please don't be shy about this. We want you to be able to follow along in the scripture so you can see what's actually said there. Um, and uh, I would just encourage you, if you don't have a Bible at home, I'd love for you to take this home with you. You don't have to sign anything. Just take it with you. Um, put it next to your bedstand. Read it before you go to bed tonight. Read it when you get up in the morning. Just let God inform kind of how you walk through your days. I encourage all of us to be doing that. First Corinthians 12, uh, verse 4, by way of reminder uh, of our series, I'm going to read starting in verse 4, and then we're going to get into the particular subject for today. So, verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, Paul writes, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And remember this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So every one of you in here who's called on the name of Jesus has something to offer to the rest of us. And if you withhold it, we are being impoverished. So bring it. Okay. Verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith, this is today, by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. You see the great diversity. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so it's kind of this messy picture where the gifts have been spread throughout the congregation and we don't even necessarily know who has what, but the Holy Spirit superintends, administers the gifts. So people are inspired by God to use their gifts and as we respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, then the work of the church moves forward. People are discipled and blessed And the gospel is proclaimed, and all this takes place as people express their giftedness. Now, I'm going to talk about faith and giving and mercy in just a minute, but I've also been sharing with you, as we've been going through this process, things that we're learning along the way about spiritual gifts in general. And there are a couple of those I want to share with us this morning. The first one, kind of uh, as I was sitting with these gifts this week, this thought came to my mind. And that is that many of the gifts, perhaps all of them, are qualities that every Christian should aspire to have. So, so for example, we look uh, in our past studies, we're looking at the gift of helps or the gift of service, or today the gift of faith or giving or mercy. These are things that all Christians should exhibit. These are qualities that we all want as followers of Christ. So what does it mean then to have the gift? What it means to have the gift is to be a kind of a leader in that area. So, for example, if you have the gift of faith, well, we all want to have faith, but in watching you live your life, God uses you to encourage our faith, to make us stronger in faith. So the gifts are, they're like leaders in particular areas who draw us all up. When we watch somebody who has the gift of serving, sacrifice, and serve for others, we're reminded that that's what it means to be like Jesus, and we're called into greater and greater service. So the gifts work in this beautiful way. It's not just that these people have them and nobody else has it. Like, what if we just had one person with the gift of faith, and we're all just struggling along with no faith, right? No, we're all to have it, but this, the people with the gift of faith lead us in this particular area. And, and so doing, they bring God's grace to the church in greater form. And this is the other thing that we have to remember. I've been saying this over several weeks, and that is, The term gift is actually not a great term for what we're talking about here. Because the word gift in English has this emphasis on unique ability. But the better translation of the actual Greek word would be something like a grace ministry. We've all been given a grace ministry. We call them spiritual gifts. We've all been given actually a grace ministry. A way to dispense the grace of God within the community of faith. We've all been given, assigned a means to do that. That's what these are. They're grace ministries. And why this is important goes to one of the deep themes throughout the New Testament. So when Paul does ministry, we see uh, over and over again that he does it out of a sense of dependency upon God. Same for Jesus. Jesus does ministry out of dependency upon his Father. When we, when we do ministry, we're to do it out of a sense of dependency. And when we focus too much on giftedness and ability, sometimes it obscures the call to be weak and dependent as we dispense these gifts. And so to focus on, um, on, on the assignment from the Holy Spirit, the grace ministry that we've been given, is a better way to keep in check the human tendency to rely on our own ability. We're always talking about giftedness. Then we say, well, I'm gifted at this. And then before we know it, we start to, to operate out of our own strength. And that's the last thing that we want to have happen. We want a church filled with people who are relying on the Lord to be filled by the Spirit to accomplish the things that God wants to do. And it's very possible that sometimes we might be called to do something in the church community, in the church context, that actually accords not with our strength, but with our weakness. And in so doing, we have to depend on the Lord to be able to carry it out. And that's going to be a good thing. All right. So these gifts are qualities that we all have, and these grace ministries are to be carried out with a sense of dependency upon the Lord. And let's talk about faith, giving, and mercy. First, we'll look at faith. The word faith is pretty easy to translate into English. It's just faith. Um, not a lot of nuance, difference. Um, belief, trust, if you look up this word in the New Testament, you're going to encounter some of the more famous passages in the New Testament, some of the passages that really minister to us and bless us, you know, passages like the one about the mustard seed, having a faith like a mustard seed and you can move mountains, um, stories like the, the disciples in the boat and the storm comes and they're, they're, they're lacking in faith and, and Jesus rebukes them for that. Um, the Epileptic Boy's Father, one of my favorite passages, it the, he, you know, he wants his son to be healed, um, and Jesus calls him to faith. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. What a beautiful statement. So that means that actually we can take the little faith that we have, and with it, ask God for more faith. Beautiful. The story of Thomas, who said he would believe if he could place his hands in the wounds of Jesus. But then afterwards, we're, we're told, blessed are those who believe without having seen, putting their hands in those, in those wounds without seeing those kind of signs. And we could go on and on. So many of the stories in the New Testament where people reach out to Jesus, they have mercy on me. Jesus then comes back and heals them and he says, your faith has made you well. Over and over, different versions of that statement. But he comes back and he says, it's your faith that has made you well. And then if we were to go towards the end of the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, we have this, uh, this whole, what we call the cloud of witnesses, those who are, faithful uh, amidst persecution and challenge and difficulty. And it's in that Hebrews where we actually find a definition of faith. If you want to know what is the precise definition of faith, you can't do much better than going to Hebrews 11. In fact, I'll put that up on the screen, which says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is acting on a reality that is true because of who God is, though not visible at the moment. That's what faith is. It's acting on a reality that's true because of who God is, but it's not visible in this particular moment. And the object of our faith, then, is always God. And this is one of the great temptations in life, is to put our faith in things that are not God. The object of faith is always intended to be God. Only God can be faithful towards us in the ways that we hope and desire, the ways that we were made for, the way that we long for. And one of the things that happens to us is, is we begin to hope for a particular circumstance in our lives. Maybe it's a job situation or a family circumstance or some sort of outcome in the, in the, in, into the problems that we're facing. And then before we know it, we've become attached to that particular outcome. And our faith is in that rather than in the God who is the determiner of all outcomes, very important for us to keep God as the center of our, the object of our faith and not the things that we hope for. Now, God may call us to hope that he will bring about a particular circumstance, and that's very much in accordance with Scripture, but we never, we never place our trust fully in that circumstance or situation. And one more thing about this de- defining faith is that in the New Testament, it sure seems to be that the, the blessing of God is activated by our faith, to some degree. So that, in many cases, when people would call out to Jesus and ask for healing, he would say things like this to him, Mark 2, 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, this is the story of the ones who dig through the ceiling in the house and drop their paralytic friend down to Jesus to have him heal him. It says, um, and when, he saw, uh, when, he, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. So it was the faith that activated the blessing of God in that case. And, and Mark 5, 34, another healing instance. And he, Jesus said to her, her, to her Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Or Mark 10, 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. This was to a blind man. And immediately recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And he immediately recovered his sight. So it was the faith that sort of activated, to some degree, the blessing of God in a person's life. And we have to remember that when we're talking about following Jesus, really nothing can happen without faith. Faith is sort of the beginning of our relationship with God. And so if we're a disciple, if we're a Christian, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, then we all have the gift of faith on some level, because you can't even begin this relationship without faith. God enters into the world, as I prayed about earlier, in the person of Jesus Christ to reveal himself to us and display all of his qualities, but in the flesh, so we could see it, and then goes to the cross to die an atoning sacrifice, offering himself on behalf of us for our sin, which had separated us from God. And then God, the Father, pours out his power into the person of Jesus Christ, to raise Jesus from the dead, which is a statement about the effectiveness of His work on the cross. Because the reason death came into the world was, was because of sin. So if sin has been overcome, then death can be overcome. And that's what the resurrection is about. It's an it's exclamation point to say that God has overcome sin. See, here's the proof. You don't enter into a relationship with that God apart from faith. And so... For example, if you're here this morning and you're on a quest, a spiritual journey, maybe you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, but you're curious about these things. First of all, I just want to say that we're so happy that you're here with us. We want you to feel welcomed and to walk out the journey of discovery with us. Love for you to be be a part of that. So first of all, I want to say that. But I also want to focus your question a little bit. Your question, the, the primary question for you is what to do with this person, Jesus Christ. Is he really the God of the universe in the flesh? Is he really the Savior who died in atoning sacrifice for me to take away my sin? That should be the focus of your, your questioning. And when you come to a place of resolution, your response will be faith, to put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ as being the one that the scripture describes him to be. That's how a relationship with God begins. That's how this journey begins. So we don't even begin without faith. Faith is key to the very beginning of all that we do. But then moving on, there are some people in the community of faith who are given the gift of faith to inspire us all into greater faithfulness. And this is a really important gift. Um, We don't usually have an office. Maybe we should. (laughs) You know, what do you do in the church? Well, I'm the guy with faith, and that might be a little awkward, but, but, but it's super, my point here is it's super important to the church that those who have the gift of faith, you know, fan that flame and bring their gift to bear in the lives of the people around us. Because this happens with individuals and communities. We start off, we get going, and suddenly things get difficult. And we need the people who have the gift of faith to keep us going, to keep us stretching to accomplish big things that match the glory of God but maybe are beyond what we could do in our own capacity. It's the people of faith, the people with the gift of faith, who stretch us into big, stretch us into big vision, help us dream big things, and then help us go after them. And when things get difficult, keep us from becoming uh, discouraged to the point where we give up. Super important, the gift of faith is for the community. I think of Exodus 16 and the, the gift, the anti-gift of faith. Um, in Exodus 16, the Israelites come out of Egypt. You know, God's part of the Red Sea. They walk through the Red Sea. They've seen God work in this miraculous way. He destroys their enemies and now they're out in the wilderness and it's only been six weeks, okay? And they're out in the wilderness and they don't have something to eat and they say, oh, I wish we could just go back to Egypt. What? This is a disaster, Right? That's the the anti-faith gift. Because God has brought them through. They're accomplishing something great in the strength of the Lord. And right in the middle of it, when things get hard, they want to give up in discouragement. And they're losing faith. And please, think about your life and the areas of challenge you face and how tempted you might be to give up and to not continue to believe and have faith in God. Maybe it If you're a parent, you know, this is an area of struggle where things get difficult and you want to feel, you're tempted to feel like all is lost. How are we going to recover from this challenge or this difficulty? It's a moment where the gift of faith is desperately needed. I loved what the theme was from Hume Lake. And I was kind of looking for a a crystallized way to say this. And then when I was listening to my wife tell the story this morning... I thought, there it is. That little concept that God has got this. That's what it means to meet a moment of challenge with the gift of faith. It's to say to yourself, God's got this. Oh, I'm about to despair. The wheels are coming off. I don't know what's gonna happen next. God's got this. That's the expression of the gift of faith. So maybe uh, you're a ministry leader you set out, you know, you felt this, you prayed about it, and, and you felt like God was really leading you in to take on this ministry, and you step forward to lead a home group or do something else, and you know, it's great for the first little while, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody says something really hurtful to you. Or somebody doesn't do what you would hope they would do, and this, this ministry becomes really challenging all of a sudden. And you're tempted to be discouraged and to give up. And that's the moment where we need the gift of faith, where we need faith. God's got this, right? That's where we say, God has got this. So think about the areas in your life where you require, maybe it's with your finances, maybe it's in work, maybe you've been given a big project to take care of, and you've launched out, and you really prayed about it beforehand, and you, and you feel like God was going to be with you, and now all of a sudden, you know, relationships are fractured, it's not going the way you intended it to be, and you're, you're tempted to despair, God's got this. That's the gift of faith. It's as if God, after launching us, you know, suddenly is not big enough anymore. This is is our temptation. God launches us into, into life, into a particular situation or circumstance. We sense him leading us, and then in the middle of it, we suddenly think, oh, wait, he's not big enough to deal with. I mean, Think of the Israelites. They came out of Egypt and this massive, powerful force was chasing them and God separated the waters and they walked through and then as this army came, the waters closed back up on them. This is what's in their mind. And then six weeks later, they're hungry and they say, oh, but God can't deal with this. Right? We need the gift of faith To be expressed in our community, to be lavished. I have, I actually don't think I, this is one of my stronger gifts. I think this is one of the areas where I struggle. And so I am so appreciative that God has brought people around me who clearly have the gift of faith. And when I get next to them, I just start to feed. I tell them what I'm struggling with, and they say, and they just sort of have this nonchalance, God's going to take care of it attitude. And I feed off of that because I need it. They lead the way. In, the, in faithfulness that we all need. God's got this. All right, got to move on to the gift of giving. So move with me here. Uh, giving, the word is actually translated with give. So it's the opposite of withholding. Hey, okay? We could say this is with giving. The gift of giving is the word is with giving. And it means to have something that you are going to share with others. It might even mean that you go out and acquire things more things so that you can give them to people who have need. It has to do with generosity, of course, of choosing to be generous, of reflecting the character of God and His generosity with us, being willing to give up absolutely everything, even Himself to the point of death. This is the root of the gift. Of generosity. And it's not just about money, it can be about money, but in the New Testament, Jesus refers, at one point, using this term, to the idea of, of sharing your tunic, your, your clothing, with somebody else. And Paul talks about wishing to visit some Christians so that he could impart to them a spiritual gift. And it's the same term. So we can give in all, we can be generous, we can be giving in all different kinds of ways. Probably the, one of the best places and the ways for us to understand what this gift is about is to turn over to 2 Corinthians 9. So would you just, if you have your Bible open, just turn to the right a few pages over to 2 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And here we have Paul writing to a church and he's encouraging them to store up money to give to another church that's in need, that's in the it's in this church in Israel, in, in Jerusalem is, in, is suffering with famine. And so they're encouraging them to to save up money to give to this other church. He says in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You see the heart, the generous heart of God wrapped up in there. And as we give, we we will be blessed. There will be a bountiful blessing. In verse 7, each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one. So every person is to be a giver. There's that idea again. It's not just people with the spiritual gift of giving. We're all to be givers. And we're all to get into our prayer closet and pray about what it is and how much it is that we're going to give. And people have you know, often asked, well, where, where do I start? How do I know how much we're to give? And, and, and it's very common for us to think about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, um, the faithful would give 10% as a tithe. And then they would give, in addition to that, an offering on top of that, oftentimes, as the Lord would lead them. And and when we think about turning the pages to the New Testament, we don't become less generous in the New Testament than in the Old Testament, right? We know that's true. So 10% is a a good way, if you're in your prayer closet and asking the Lord, what should I give? It's a great place to start. But I would even encourage us to be thinking about how we might go beyond that. How we might go beyond that. And some of us will be gifted and empowered to be able to do that. Verse 8, And God is able, we, we, this is the sense with which we approach this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, God's got, the generous God we worship has your back. Verse 9, As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase. The harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. See, This is a gift where when it's given, it's not just about, you know, it's not an unspiritual thing to give financially, to give to somebody else, to give to the church. It it gets exchanged, kind of like money being exchanged when you go to a different country. It gets exchanged into thanksgiving, which then becomes worship. And what you see in this is how the gifts all create this virtuous cycle where people are giving out of their giftedness. And at the end, it all ends up being woven together and resulting in greater worship to God. Verse 13, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. See? Because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And we talk often about giving, Um, We talk about churches and budgets and stuff. But at the end of the day, do you understand that giving is part of our discipleship? It's part of becoming like God, becoming like Christ. To become generous in giving is part of our discipleship, first and foremost. And then God takes care of the needs of his people. A couple of illustrations, I think, help us with this. I was reading about Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers um, in London uh, within the last two centuries and um, one of my favorite preachers and little-known story, at least I didn't know about it, about he and his wife. They had some chickens and these chickens produced eggs and they made these eggs available to their friends and families and neighbors. But they always sold the eggs to everybody, even their blood relatives. In fact, people started to wonder why are they so greedy in selling these eggs. Why don't they just give them away, right? I'm your, we're blood. Show me some love. Give me some free eggs, right? That's what people were saying. And uh, then his wife tragically passed away. Spurgeon's wife passed away. And what they discovered is that actually all of the proceeds from these chickens and their eggs had been going to support two poor elderly widows. And that's why you always had to pay when you wanted eggs. Not because the Spurgeons were making anything from it, but because it was a way for them to go out and actually acquire something that they might have to be able to give to somebody who had need. That's like the gift of giving. Another example, Minute Bowl, famous NBA player, one of the two tallest players ever in the NBA, seven foot seven. Came from Sudan to play for the NBA. Spent ten, ten years playing basketball in the NBA. Averaged 1.5 million per year. He retires, gets in a car accident, ends up in the hospital for four months. Has no money to pay his hospital bill. Sports Illustrated comes to do an interview. What happened? You know, are you just one of those those guys who just had all his money and spent it? And you know, turns out, Manute Bull had given away everything back to his family and friends in Sudan. He said, God brought me to the United States and gave me a good job <laughs> to play in the NBA, right? And he made $1.5 million on average per year, and he took it all and gave it back. He had nothing left at the end of his life and was in hospital without... That's the gift of giving, see? And some of you may have this gift, and you might not realize it, and God is wanting to work through you to bring grace to his people, to his church. And it might even be to the extent that you have been called to make money because you're able to. That's part of the gift that God has given you. And to use that for the ministry that God wants to accomplish in the world. Uh, And so that's the gift of giving. They say that if the church around the world were to tithe according to how many people are part of the church, we would have an additional $172 billion to play with and do ministry. You realize even just a portion of that would address many of the issues of poverty in the world, $172 billion. If we would just, the whole church in the world would tithe, we would have an additional $172 billion. Now bring that home to us. We're probably, we're getting into our budget season, we're probably going to have a budget of or so in this this coming year, somewhere around there. If you kind of calculate that out and everybody in our congregation were to tithe, we would probably have potentially, easily, another $250,000 to use in service of the Lord. And and so much of that wouldn't even have to come back to us in any way. It could totally go out for ministry that would take place outside of us for blessing of others. And that's a conservative number. I think if Dave Monk were here, he would say $500,000 actually. All right? So giving is important. It's part of our spiritual discipline. It's part of how God moves the gospel through the world. Lastly, mercy. And I'll be brief on this one. I'll have mercy on you. Um, Mercy is translated kindness or concern towards someone in need. And we're all to be merciful. The Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. Mercy is an underappreciated quality in our world. People who give mercy are looked down upon, and people who need mercy are looked down upon. That's not what our world is about, right? We're about judgment, right? We're about judgment and calling people to account and, and picking yourself up and all of that. So mercy is not popular. But Paul seemed to think it was pretty cool and pretty important. He says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul says. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. See, that's a big part of mercy, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What Paul understands... I have to imagine that Paul didn't start off as a merciful character. First of all, you you have his history as a Pharisee, but just his temperament seems to be a hard-driving kind of guy, right? And yet he understands and appreciates, as you can see in what I just read, the importance of mercy. And it's, it's in understanding God's merciful attitude and approach to us that we become merciful towards others, right? If we can understand just how much mercy... God has shown to us as we languished in our own sinfulness then we can be motivated and empowered to be merciful towards others now people often look at mercy as kind of a weak quality and what it, we really want to be merciful? Is it really that big of a deal? And, and then in my reading, I came across this verse that sort of leapt off the page and really struck me. I think this is a quality. I, mercy, again, this is the week for me because faith and mercy, I've struggled with all these. Um, and so this verse leapt off to me, uh, James two thirteen. for judgment, which is what our world seems to love, is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But this is what really kind of blows my mind. Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. Do you see that? That if you really want to get things done in the world, if you want to accomplish the things that God's called you to do, now it doesn't mean we don't call people to account, but we do it out of merciful hearts and loving hearts, not out of judgment. See? And and that's actually more powerful than what the world would say in being that sort of hard-nosed, judgmental person. Mercy actually will win the day and be more powerful and that's how God has dealt with us and so you know what it's saying is with you know when you're in those moments with the people at work or your boss or you're a boss or your brothers and sisters in your family or your brothers and sisters in Christ right where you just you know everything every fiber in your being wants to bring judgment what James is telling us is that actually if you want to win the day Lead out with mercy. I desperately need to hear this message. Parents, we need to hear this message, right? It's what God has done with us. He led out in mercy. And this world desperately needs somebody to lead out in mercy, to have mercy givers. And so the church needs to be filled with mercy givers. And we need the merciful people within us to teach us how to inhabit mercy like the Beatitudes say. If you have the gift, I want to encourage you this morning to fan it into flame. And one of the things that is exciting about this fall is this Gospel Academy course that we're doing that Jackie's going to be leading. By the way, Jackie's going to be adding time. She's going to be um, to doing children's ministry. She's going to be also doing other ministry to help us move in this direction. This course that she's going to be leading is going to help us fan into flame the gift of mercy. So, If this is your gift, then be a part of it. All right, I'm going to finish up there. I'm going to lead us to the table here. Remind us that it's in this table where we're shown the faithfulness of God, the generosity of God, and the mercy of God, first and foremost. So when I invite you to this table, I want you to come down and uh, remind yourself, you know, it's not cool in our world to sort of beat on your breast and say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, but... Boy, if you want personal spiritual revival, uh, I want to encourage you to take that posture before God. So come down and be reminded of your need for mercy. How have you sinned against others this week? How have you sinned against God? And then be reminded of God's generous faithfulness, um, His self-giving, and His mercy towards you as you come to this table. So this table is open for anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just come on down and take the bread and dip it in the cup. And then as you go back out, I'd like you to think about and pray about how God is going to make you more generous, more faith-oriented, and more merciful in this coming week with the people that are around you. On the night that he was betrayed, uh, the Lord Jesus, after he had given thanks, took bread and uh, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God, would you meet us at this table? Show us again your faithfulness, your generosity, and your mercy. And in doing so, transform us to be a people of faith, generosity, and mercy in a world that desperately needs us to be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.